listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part two of a series in book four of the Psalms. Psalm 94. O Lord, God of vengeance, O God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, repay to the proud what they deserve. O Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour out their arrogant words, all the evildoers boast. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They kill the widow and the sojourner, and murder the fatherless. And they say, the Lord does not see, the God of Jacob does not perceive. Understand, O dullest of the people, fools, when will you be wise? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of a man, but they are but a breath. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, to give him rest from days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not forsake his people, he will not abandon his heritage, for justice will return to the righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who rises up for me against the wicked? Who stands up for me against evildoers? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have lived in the land of silence. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, held me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Can wicked rulers be allied with you, those who frame injustice by statute? They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God the rock of my refuge. He will bring back on them their iniquity, and wipe them out for their wickedness. The Lord, our God, will wipe them out. We'll finish the reading of Psalm 94. Now this psalm contains Uh, a couple of big ideas that we might find challenging. The first one comes in the very first verse, describing the Lord, Yahweh, as the God of vengeance. What are we to do with that idea that God is a God of vengeance? What are we to do with ideas of revenge? And then the second idea that is perhaps difficult for us is found in verse 12, Discipline. Blessed is the man whom you discipline, O Lord, O Yahweh, and whom you teach out of your law. Seems to me we live in an age that doesn't appreciate discipline, that thinks good parenting is about unconditional affirmation of your child, about boosting their self-esteem, about focusing on the positive and never uh, talking about the negative. Well, God, we are told here, is a God who disciplines and that discipline is blessing. So we need to think about that. But first, let's deal with this idea that the Lord is a God of vengeance. And as we do that, we'll see that these two ideas are closely related, because, of course, at the root of both issues is the question of the character of God. What is God like? Well, it is true and right to call him the God of vengeance. The writer of this psalm, who isn't named in the psalm, is familiar with Deuteronomy, no doubt, in Deuteronomy chapter 32, which uh, records the song of Moses. In that song, uh, we read verse 35 that vengeance is mine, God says, and recompense. 
Uh, and later on, verse 41, it says, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. And then in verse 43, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. He will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. So the character of God includes this quality of vengeance. Now, the, the reason undoubtedly that I struggle with that, or, well, I think it's twofold. First of all, um, I think it would be a very dangerous thing for me to be a man of vengeance. And my understanding of the Christian faith is that I must love my enemies. And that raises an important question. If I am called to love my enemies then uh, and not to take vengeance, then how can God be a God of vengeance? And surely I'm called to be like him. So we need to deal with that objection. But the second issue is, frankly, the reason it doesn't sit well with me is that I don't feel the desperate need for revenge. Now, I need to be careful in saying that I have had experiences in my life of uh, being hurt by others, being betrayed by others. Um, in fact, some of those are more recent than I would like to, to admit uh, and sit with me in, in a difficult place. I struggle with them at times. And I'm thankful that by God's grace, I don't have any desire for revenge on those people. But it can be very difficult to know what to do with the, the hurt that is caused by betrayal. But despite the fact that I've experienced that, and it is painful, I recognise that there are people in our culture, our society, in our world, who are in a much more difficult position than I am because they have faced much greater injustices, the murder or abuse or rape of a loved one or perhaps the abuse of oneself. Looking at the news headlines, seeing what happens in some parts of the world, the great violence that is done to people and recognising that I live in a relatively stable law-abiding country where I can have good hope that if somebody did uh, something so unjust that there may be justice in the courts of law, but of course there isn't always. But I recognise that there are other people who live in parts of the world where there is no prospect of that. They live under injustice. And of course there are people in our country who never get that justice, either because there is no uh, no one comes um, forward and admits to the, the crime, or there's not enough evidence to convict someone, or in some cases... Uh, the, the person who's guilty perhaps is acquitted uh, unfairly. So there, there is a reality though that whilst I might struggle with the idea of vengeance, that if you are on the wrong side of injustice, then it is a very natural and proper thing to cry out for justice. And of course justice means vengeance. But what about that objection that says surely I am not called to bring vengeance to to, to, to to take revenge on my enemies. And that is true. The Lord Jesus taught us to love our enemies. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 tells us not to repay evil for evil. This is chapter Romans 12 verse 17. But good, to, to do good and to live peaceably with all people. And then he says, verse 19, do not take revenge. So you might say, well, there we go. Christians are not to take revenge. How can we say that God is a God of vengeance? But actually, the Apostle Paul carries on in that verse and quotes the uh, the 
passage from Deuteronomy that I referred to earlier. So this is not an issue of uh, saying that God cannot take vengeance. Paul, Paul writes um, in Romans 12, verse uh, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, what Paul is saying is that it is dangerous for us to take vengeance upon ourselves. God is the one who avenges. God is the only one who can truly take revenge. In fact, God does that uh, in two significant ways. If you read on into chapter 13 of Romans, you read there that the authorities that exist are described as an agent of God's wrath. So leaving it to the wrath of God, Romans 12, includes justice being done by the authorities, the proper authorities that rule over us. So it is not wrong if a Christian is wronged for them to allow the courts to take uh, their proper course of action what we must not do is take vengeance into our own hands individually. But of course, the ultimate uh, vengeance of God is in his ultimate judgment, which is what really Deuteronomy was referring to, where God says that he will take revenge uh, in due time. In other words, God will put all wrongs right. So we must not take vengeance upon ourselves. If we do that, what will happen to us? Well, I think the problem is that when we take revenge, first of all, we are not utterly fair as God is. So we don't know all things. We can get things wrong. And secondly, I don't always know what is a fair judgment. So even when I get it right and I recognise what someone has done wrong, I don't know what the fair thing to do in response is. So I will be likely to go beyond what is fair or right. But thirdly, I think that something happens to our souls when we take revenge or allow ven vengeance to get a, a grip on our heart. We become bitter. We shrivel up. We become incapable of generosity and love and of grace. Even if our cause is just, it eats into us. God can cope with that because he is utterly pure and utterly right and because his heart is bigger than anything but my heart is small and my horizons are small and vengeance would eat into me and corrupt me. So the gospel calls us to lay down our desire for vengeance. And of course, more than that, the gospel calls us to do good to those who do evil to us in the hope, as Paul continues in Romans 12, that we will heap burning coals on their head, that our goodness towards them might provoke their conscience, in which case, they might respond to God's grace. Our prayer for those who have wronged us, yes, can be for justice, but should also be that they might turn to God and know forgiveness and restoration. Now, does God desire that? Well, yes, he desires all people to be saved. But when we read of the vengeance of God, what we are ultimately reading about is that he will ultimately finally hold people to account. And that means we can let go of the desire to judge and leave room for God's wrath. Let the state or the authorities pursue justice and leave it to God that even when justice is not done in this world, that he will ultimately do justice. And if we were the oppressed, then we would cry out for that like the psalmist. 
In fact, our culture today in the Western world is very concerned with groups that appear to have been oppressed by others and in many cases have been. And uh, so um, those groups that are crying really for social justice, what they're ultimately looking for is God's justice. And of course, whenever we as human beings try to create social justice, we end up in conflict because we don't seem to be able to balance the rights of different groups of people by promoting the rights of one group of people. We tend to make another group of people feel like they are being oppressed or treated unfairly. What we're really looking for is total justice and only God can bring that. And so our prayer is God of vengeance shine forth. Verse one, the, the psalmist is praying that the Lord would rise up the judge of the earth to repay what the proud deserve. He asks the question, how long that common question in Psalms of Lament, verse three, how long shall the wicked exult? Pouring out arrogant words, boasting in their evil doing, crushing God's people, verse five, and afflicting his heritage. This is another important aspect of the justice of God, that God exercises his justice for the sake of his people. He acts in vengeance for his people. This, the passage in Deuteronomy, that great song of Moses, calls the Gentiles to join in, to enter into uh, God's praise because God will avenge the blood of his servants. The Gentiles can rejoice with God's people because God will vindicate his people. That's what Deuteronomy uh, is, is saying, chapter 32 and verse 43. Uh, the King James, New King James says, Rejoice, O Gentiles. The English Standard Version says, Rejoice, O heavens, bow down all gods. Um, but it's the alternative reading that's in the footnote that says, Rejoice his people, O nations. The, the point is that, that what God does is just, but he does it for the sake of his people. He will punish those who have oppressed them, who have wronged them, who have persecuted them. But the call is also for all to look to God's justice. So in other words, as his people, yes, we can trust in that. But our desire is that others would come to join us in knowing themselves justified by God, made right with him rather than coming under his just judgment. But these evildoers are killing widows and sojourners, verse 6, murdering the fatherless. And they say that the Lord doesn't see and doesn't perceive. But this is foolishness, verse 8 says. God created ears and eyes, so he hears and sees. He disciplines the nations. He rebukes people. He teaches knowledge, verse 11. He knows the thoughts of man that they're but a breath. God knows everything that happens. We can have confidence that nothing is left unseen by him and he will bring all things to light in the day when he comes to judge. But that leads us down to verse 12. Having talked about the discipline of the nations in verse 10, verse 12 personalises that and says, blessed is the man whom you discipline, the person who knows the discipline of the Lord, who is taught by him out of his law. To give him rest from the days of trouble until a pit is dug for the wicked. 
Because the Lord, verse 14, will not forsake his people or abandon his heritage. He will return justice to the righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. There is a blessing in knowing the truth of God's law. You see, when we cry out for justice, and this is one of the confusing things about the clamour for social justice in our modern culture. People are crying out for justice, but our idea of morality is relative. We don't believe any longer in a moral standard that is absolute and universal for all people. Of course, as Christians, we do believe in that. It is God, God's law, God's will, God's character. And the person who cries for social justice, this is the reason why it often ends up in conflict, because their cry clashes with the cry of somebody else who has a different conception of what is right and fair and just. Well, only God knows what is ultimately right and true, but God teaches people knowledge. He teaches us from his law. He disciplines us. That idea of discipline, of course, is yes, it includes teaching, but it's more than that. Who who corrects us when we're wrong, who through painful experiences teaches us character and wisdom, who teaches us what it is to do what is right. There is a discipline that comes through suffering and through learning and to let go of the desire for revenge, to bless our enemies. You see, God is not a clueless parent who just lets their children go whichever way they choose to go. Uh, Not just a, a loving parent who pours out affirmation on his children, although he does that. But he is a good parent who guides, who corrects, who rebukes. And we need the rebuke of God. We need to follow his righteousness. Verse 16, the psalmist returns to a question, who rises up for me? Who stands up for me? Well, it's the Lord who is my help. Verse 17, if not, my foot would have slipped. When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love held me up. The God who holds on to us, who clings to us, who disciplines us, with the same hand with which he clings to us when otherwise we would fall and be lost. This is the steadfast love of God that does not give up on the people he has covenanted with, his children. And the intimacy that comes with that, verse 19, this steadfast love is not only in God's ultimate deliverance from our enemies, although that is assured, He will bring justice in due time, but it is a consolation to the soul, verse 19 says, to the cares of my heart. Notice heart and soul refer to the same thing, the inner life of emotions and thoughts, of will, of the wrestle inside. There is consolation to bring cheer to the soul. When my cares are many, my heart is burdened down. What is it that God brings by way of consolation? Well, I think there is an inner witness of his spirit, the love of God spread abroad in our experience, the peace of God that surpasses understanding. And then there are the words of God, the promises and assurances of God that speak to us. Verse 20, wicked rulers can't be allied with God who frame injustice by statute. That ought to be a a real challenge to 
Western nations today that have been so blessed with an understanding of the law of God, of what was right, whose legal systems have often been based on Christian values, biblical standards. And now as they depart from that, they put into law injustices, the right so-called to kill an innocent unborn child in abortion, the right to seek help to end one's own life because of suffering through assisted dying, the requirement that uh, those of us who don't agree with those things pay for them through our state-funded tax, the legalisation of gambling and all the evils that that brings. There are many things that statute frames unjustly, the undermining of biblical and natural family values that no longer promote or uh, give special privilege to um, or, or um, encourage families with a father and a mother in a stable marriage who put uh, unstable relationships on a par with that and even relationships that are immoral according to scripture. They cannot be allied with God. They band together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. Verse 21 again, we might not be martyred in our age as Christians for standing up for what is right, but there is a sense of oppression, a sense of being condemned, of being castigated as phobic and as uh, oppressors, even though all that we want to do is testify to God's liberating goodness. But the Lord is our stronghold. Our refuge is not in our strength of numbers. It is not in winning some culture wars or in taking political power or shaping the law in a way that suits us or even in the way that upholds what is righteous and good, although we should do that if we can. Our confidence is in the Lord. It is in God who is the God of justice, of vengeance and of steadfast love. The Lord who will wipe out those who do wickedness. The Lord who will, as the very ending of the psalm says, will wipe them out. That is sobering, but it is reassuring to God's people as we seek to stand faithfully for him. We stand in his steadfast love. We testify to his goodness. We repay evil with good in the hope that people will come to know him. But we have confidence in the God who is the God of vengeance. The only one who can be trusted with us difficult and bigger concept as vengeance because the only one who is truly just and truly good with no imperfection, no shadow of turning, no darkness, no evil and no injustice. That is the God in whom we trust. Amen.